The Tom Woods Show, episode 1684. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you're like me, one of the most demoralizing things is when someone utters the truth and then lamely apologizes. Well, not these folks. I've got a free ebook of stories from heroic professors who told the PC mob to go pound sand. Stories from Jordan Peterson, Michael Rechtenwald, and others. Check it out at againstthemob.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. I've got a couple of interesting episodes coming up for you later this week, by the way. I just want to let you know about uh, one of them involves a Michigan State professor who got in trouble for, frankly, just having a, an opinion different from what the mob has these days. So we're going to be talking to him. And then Friday, since it is Independence Day Observed, we'll have Kevin Gutzman back on the show. We're going to talk about the history behind Independence Day, not the history behind establishing it as a holiday, but the history behind the events leading up to July 1776 and what it means. What does Independence Day mean? What did the Declaration of Independence mean? Uh, You'd think this would be simple stuff that everybody would know, but it's actually not. So we'll have some fun talking about that. But today I just have some thoughts I've gathered about the state of the world because I know a lot of you listening feel like you're in a George Orwell novel every day now. And it makes you think, geez, six months ago, we didn't have things so bad after all. I mean, you know, I would take that in a second compared to today. So uh, let me give a couple of examples of crazy things and then see if we can draw some conclusions or draw some broader conclusions from them. So for instance, the other day I saw, I guess it's a couple weeks old now, but I saw it for the first time, a tweet from somebody saying, and I'll read you the entire tweet. It's kind of insane that Angela Davis is alive and well, but every major news source is like, what's prison abolition? Matt here, who half read a Wikipedia article about it, while also replying to a Nate Silver tweet, has the answer. So they're being sarcastic about people who are not qualified to speak on prison abolition are doing so, and yet there's Angela Davis still alive, and they refuse to even cite her. All right, let me tell you the story about Angela Davis, or what you need to know about Angela Davis. If you've never heard the name, she ran for president, I beg your pardon, vice president on the Communist Party ticket, I think back in 1984. She's not one of these communists who says the Soviet Union wasn't real communism, or the countries behind the Iron Curtain weren't real communism. She was genuinely unhappy when the Soviet Union collapsed. And she visited these countries. She was honored in these countries. She won the Lenin Peace Prize in 1979. She accepted the prize in Moscow. She praised, quote, the glorious name of Lenin and the Great October Revolution, which is the Bolshevik Revolution, which is one of the worst events in world history. And earlier than that, Uh, Before that, she was given an honorary doctorate from Moscow State University. This was not being done in the 1970s for normal people or for good people. It was all for people who were mouthpieces of the regime. Uh, East Germany, a horrible repressive regime, she went over there in the 70s and praised them, praised the Soviet Union and East Germany. And when she was asked if maybe she could help get some dissident voices out of prison, if she could use her influence 
to release political prisoners in some of these regimes behind the Iron Curtain. Her reply was that the only reason you'd be in prison is if you'd been trying to undermine a socialist government. And of course, we can't allow that. So these people need to remain in prison. So this is the woman that somebody on Twitter who's gotten a million likes or what, I mean, not a million, but let's just say an awful lot of likes and retweets. This is the woman that person is citing on behalf of prison abolition. A woman who actively supported imprisoning people for political activity. Like that's what she supports. Putting them in prison. And you're going to cite her as a prison abolitionist. These were prisoners of conscience she was asked to work on behalf of. And she wouldn't do it. Let them remain in prison. That's your prison abolitionist. That's deranged. Okay, that's not normal. So if it were reversed and I cited some crazy right-winger on behalf of some cause that he'd been obviously the opposite of his whole life, I'd be ridiculed and laughed out of society. But people think, yeah, yeah, Angela Davis should be consulted on this. Now, meanwhile, after all this propaganda on behalf of some of the worst regimes in the entire world, Angela Davis was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Now, if you so much as said affirmative action might not be a great idea, there'd be no way you would be admitted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. That would be it. That alone would disqualify you. But you justify regimes that destroyed countless lives and impoverished countless people and ruled by terror and propaganda. Well, that's fine. Come on in. Congratulations. You've been inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. That's our world right now. That's not normal. Or how about this story? An article ran in Bloomberg, and the headline was, COVID-19 surge begins reaching older, more vulnerable Floridians. Paul Krugman links to this article on Twitter, and his comment is, reality is coming for white supremacists driving golf carts. So it's an article about ordinary people who may be at risk right now. Just ordinary people, not political activists, obviously not white supremacists, since there are almost none of those in America. And Krugman's response is to just call them all white supremacists. Because, I mean, after all, they're white and they're old, so, you know, you do the math. That's Paul Krugman, the spokesman for Keynesianism in America, who is a prominent columnist. He has a column in the New York Times. And that's his response. That's, again, that's not normal. Normal person doesn't respond to news like that in that way. Now, the great and heroic Glenn Greenwald, who's, as you all know, on the left, but who does say some good things from time to time and who does have an independent mind, he retweeted Krugman and smashed him because he said, here's the headline, COVID-19 surge begins reaching older, more vulnerable Floridians, and here's sociopathic Paul Krugman. <laughs> so that was good. So the whole idea here is that America is a white supremacist country. We need to listen to Angela Davis for guidance as to what to do. And we can just casually refer to old white people in Florida as white supremacists. And we've got to go pull down some statues because the statues represent white supremacy. Even if the statues are statues of abolitionists, we've got to vandalize those because we're so ignorant, we don't even know that. Or maybe it's just that they're white. It doesn't matter that they're abolitionists. I don't even know what's 
guiding them at this point. But, you know, it's very hard to take these people seriously. Oh, they're really, really against slavery 150 years ago. But Che Guevara's cool, and Fidel Castro was a liberator, and communism is chic, and Angela Davis is a hero. Sorry, if you believe those things, you are not a liberator. There's no reason to take seriously your opposition to an institution that ended 150 years ago when you're perfectly fine with horrific oppression going on all around you at this very moment or within your lifetime, right? There's no way to take these people seriously. Oh, they're just deeply offended by slavery 150 years ago, but they're not at all offended by state-sanctioned murder in the present day. In fact, they cheer that on and they induct people who cheer that on into the National Women's Hall of Fame. We're supposed to be morally intimidated by these people? These are horrible people. These are horrible people with no merits whatsoever. And behind all this is an assumption, it's just taken for granted, that American society is a white supremacist society and there are white supremacists everywhere. Now, 10 years ago, nobody was using the term white supremacist except to refer to maybe a few fringe people of no influence, with no money, no power, nothing. And that was it, because they're that, those are the white supremacists and there really aren't any. And it's not like Americans have become more, quote, racist since then. They've become less so. So the more the problem goes away, the more hysterical the response. There is no support for the idea that America, the United States is one of the least racist countries on earth. I mean, that's, that's not even debatable. And to say that it's a white supremacist society? I wrote in my newsletter not long ago about an actual example of a country where one race dominates another, and that, that is the stated policy. That's a racial supremacist society. And the example I gave was Malaysia, which has been officially discriminating against its Chinese minority for decades. It was written into the Malaysian constitution that there would be discrimination against non-Malaysians. Nearly half of the Chinese minority has indicated a strong desire to leave the country. Now that's a country where one race dominates another. Of the 56,576 Malaysians who renounced their citizenship between 2006 and 2016, nearly 50,000 were Chinese. Until 2001, an official government quota system helped keep the Chinese minority out of the university system. Since then, internal quotas have done the job. Malaysian politicians have urged the Chinese to return to China, or at least be grateful, in quotation marks, for their lives in Malaysia. Now, there's no affirmative action for the Chinese minority. Why would there be in a racial supremacist society? The situation is exactly the reverse. There's no gigantic legal apparatus that can destroy a firm that hasn't hired Chinese Malaysians in proportion to their representation in the population. That doesn't exist. And meanwhile, by the way, the Chinese minority, even as it has dwindled, has managed to dominate the economy despite the discrimination, and they earn incomes twice as high as the national average. Now, that's what racial superiority looks like. And there are precisely zero people in the United States advocating a system like that. And we are surely dealing with a peculiar white supremacist society when being called a white supremacist, you would think in a white supremacist society, being called a white supremacist would be a badge of honor, right? You're upholding the principles on which our society is based. But 
Of course, we all know, non-hysterical people know, that being called that gets you fired from your job, gets you reviled by everybody, gets you dismissed from society. In this so-called white supremacist society, even the so-called conservatives cheer on the toppling of statues that protesters dislike. In this white supremacist society, Japanese-American households were earning just as much as their white counterparts by 1959 and one-third more by 1969, despite having been reviled during World War I. Not to mention, it is surely a unique white supremacist society in which non-whites enjoy special employment advantages, scholarships for which nobody else is eligible, and preferential treatment in academic admissions. And so what does the Borg recommend today? The Borg is my term for the media, academia, and the entertainment world. They all think the same way. They say the same things. They use the same lingo. They have the same obsessions. They destroy the same people. They're all the same. So it's the Borg. The Borg is recommending more of the same. You know, we need more funding for X, more funding for Y. We've had consistently more funding for X and Y year after year after year after year. We've tried virtually everything they're recommending already. Shelby Steele, who used to be, he's now at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, but he used to be at San Jose State. And he said, at the university where I currently teach, so he was speaking at that time at San Jose State, the dropout rate for blacks is 72%, despite the presence of several academic support programs, a counseling center with black counselors, an Afro-American studies department, black faculty, administrators, and staff, a general education curriculum that emphasizes cultural pluralism, an educational opportunities program, a mentor program, a black faculty and staff association, and an administration and faculty that often announce the need to do more for black students. Now, those may all be worthy things, but we can't pretend that they haven't been done. They have been done. More recently, in fact, quite recently, a professor at UC Berkeley anonymously released a letter to the school administration. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from it. But remember, this is a very weird white supremacist society we live in, in which the slightest criticisms of the narrative promoted by Black Lives Matter will obviously get you fired. And so you have to make them anonymously. Now, again, if this were a white supremacist society, you would think these critiques would be everywhere, right? And they would be nasty and whatever. But you can't even slightly dissent without doing so anonymously because you know your career will be ruined. That's a weird white supremacist society. You can't say anything, (laughs) you know, on behalf of the majority without fear of being destroyed. Weird, weird white supremacist society. So this professor says this, in your recent departmental emails, you mentioned our pledge to diversity, but I am increasingly alarmed by the absence of diversity of opinion on the topic of the recent protests and our community response to them. In the extended links and resources you provided, I could not find a single instance of substantial counterargument or alternative narrative to explain the underrepresentation of black individuals in academia or their overrepresentation in the criminal justice system. The explanation provided in your documentation, to the near exclusion of all others, is univariate. The problems of the black community are caused by whites, or when whites are not physically present, by the infiltration of white supremacy and white systemic racism into American brains, souls, and institutions. I personally don't dare speak out against the BLM narrative, and with this barrage of alleged unity being mass-produced by the administration, tenured professoriate, the UC administration, corporate America, and the media, 
punishment for dissent is a clear danger at a time of widespread economic vulnerability. I am certain that if my name were attached to this email, I would lose my job and all future jobs, even though I believe in and can justify every word I type. As we all can see, the range of allowable opinion, opinion that isn't going to get you demonized and called names that obviously don't describe you, but which are meant to destroy you forever, this range is shrinking before our eyes. We can all see it. Now, if you consider this something to cheer and you consider this a development that's likely to contribute to greater understanding among people, then I get your support for BLM. It's all of a piece. However, it is quite possible to favor genuine justice for all people without buying into a cartoonish morality play that is just divorced from reality. Yeah, I could save myself a lot of grief if I would just sit still in that examining chair and let them make me repeat the two plus two equals five, but I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Now, when things like the Aunt Jemima syrup bottle get changed, you know, people make fun of conservatives for thinking there's something wrong with that. I I saw somebody on Facebook say, is that the hill you want to die on? A syrup bottle? Come on, but it's obviously not a syrup bottle that's the issue. It's this creepy phenomenon whereby things people weren't even asking for suddenly now have to be changed. Like Dungeons and Dragons is now going to re-examine how it portrays race in its games. No, nobody was asking for that. What are, you ta- what are you talking about? Nobody cares about syrup per se. What they care about is the totalitarian instinct behind the nonstop remaking of everything, which was at the heart of every totalitarian revolution and the attributing of bad motives to everyone who dissents. So the people carrying this stuff out, none of them have bad motives, even though you know, they're destroying things and ruining people's careers and making fact-free accusations. They're all good, wonderful people. People have been making the comparison with the French Revolution. And the French Revolution was also a time when people were trying to remake society from the bottom up. Uh, Well, I mean, really, they were trying to remake society from the top down. (laughs) Let me put it that way. That was the thing. From the top down, we're going to remake society. So as if to underscore how radical we intend to be, we're going to have a whole new calendar, and we're going to date the beginning of the new France from the execution of the monarch. Then they guillotined statues of saints. You can believe the stupidity of that. They changed street names. They banned religious holidays. Tens of thousands of priests ultimately had to flee into exile. And one one good result of that, by the way, is that a lot of them fled to England where there were laws on the books against Catholicism. But it was the good example, as as we have many testimonies, contemporary testimonies of this, the good example of these priests helped to melt away the anti-Catholic prejudice in England and eventually get those laws repealed. There were gruesome murders of regime opponents, as in the drownings at Nantes and the executions of the martyrs of Compiègne. And and I might add, of course, that what's driving this is the idea that our opponents are not actually people with alternative points of view that we all ought to hash out. Our opponents are subhuman. Their their arguments are not – they're not arguments. Uh, They are weapons. They are not to be listened to. They are to be destroyed. So our opponents are not people to, to invite over and talk to. You know, there's, a, there's a, a, an organization called Liberty Fund, a company called Liberty Fund. You may know about them because they publish a lot of Liberty classics in inexpensive editions, both paperback and uh, hardcover. But what a lot of people don't know is that in addition to that, 
they hold colloquia, invitation-only colloquia, among scholars. And I've been invited to many of these over the years. And you attend these colloquia with a total of 15 other people. So there's a, there's a discussion moderator and uh, 15 people. And you've all read the same readings in advance. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a collection of, of, of readings from various sources. And they're all on a theme. And you discuss that over the course of a weekend in a nice hotel and dining at nice restaurants. And it's a wonderful scholarly experience. But as time went on and I, I was observing this, I noticed that more and more uh, left-wing people were being invited to these colloquia. And of course, the thought was, well, we're going to try to have discussions with the left and, and see where we can go. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I point that out just to note that that would never be reciprocated. Never. It's, it, the idea is not that, well, libertarians have a perspective that we really owe it to ourselves to wrestle with and and they're human beings too, just like us, so we should treat them with dignity. So why don't we have them come? That, that would just never happen. They, we, would, we would not be invited. That would not happen. We're dealing with people who don't look at the world as consisting of diverse peoples with varying points of view that ought to be entertained respectfully. It consists of enemies who deserve to be silenced and humiliated. And their old ways of living must be destroyed and rendered odious. And their lingering attachment to their old ways has to be made an object of ridicule and laughter. How else are we going to create a new society if we still have people stuck to the old one? We have to eliminate those people or humiliate them to the point where they dare not speak. And even if you're just a little different, like the Mensheviks and the social revolutionaries in Lenin's Russia, you too will eventually get what's coming to you. And then to make matters worse, to top things off, They'll gaslight you by presuming to give you lessons in tolerance and coexistence. And to think the conservative movement used to think the problem with its opponents was that they were moral relativists. No, no, no. We're talking about people who absolutely do believe in a moral standard, and they are it. They're the ones terrorizing everybody. They're the ones shutting down speakers and intimidating people. They're academics all over America who are terrified to say anything or contradict the Borg because they know what will happen to them. Which side has to keep its mouth shut out of fear of losing a job or having a reputation destroyed? I constantly get students asking me, should I keep my mouth shut in the classroom? Now, that's oppression, that right there, that you have to be terrified like that. That's marginalization. The left claims that it's speaking up for people who are marginalized, but every cause it believes in is endorsed by every corporate CEO, every newsroom, every academic department. That's marginalization. No, real marginalization is uh, try walking in our shoes for a month. You know, then you'll, then you'll see marginalization. You know, then, then you'll see what it's like to feel like you better keep your mouth shut. There's a derangement going on here. Reality is the opposite of what these people believe. And meanwhile, they do not care about war. They just don't. If Trump tries to make peace, they're against it. Well, what they care about is that uh, LGBT people should have the right to drop bombs on helpless populations just like everyone else. Like, that's the thing that they care about. That gets them upset. But Obama's destruction of Libya and, the, and, and bringing back slavery there, eh. Yeah, these are the great moral crusaders who are going to lecture us and, and who think they should be able to morally intimidate us. These are moral reprobates whom a normal society would be speaking out against. A normal society would be pointing out the problems with this. 
Franklin Roosevelt incarcerates, what, 120,000 Japanese Americans? Does this mean they, they don't admire FDR anymore? No, total double standard. That's totally uh, excusable. If you think there might be a slight problem with affirmative action, well, you deserve to have your livelihood taken away from you and your life ruined. But if you incarcerate 120,000 Americans, well, you know, he did create Social Security, so you got to give him that. And then Woodrow Wilson. Now, yes, now Woodrow Wilson is one of these people who genuinely does deserve the word racist. It's, it's not just uh, being unreasonable. He genuinely deserves that word. But that's all they can think to say about Woodrow Wilson. Here, here he is. He creates the Federal Reserve System, which fuels the war machine. And not a peep. Not a, any word about that? Is that important? Nothing. It's incredible what a pathetic bunch of people we're dealing with who are trying to intimidate us into silence. And so I think it's more important than ever to say what you can say where you can say it so as to buck up the courage of people who are demoralized everywhere and let them know they're not crazy. You're not the crazy one. It's these fact-free hysterics who are the crazy ones, and we need to encourage them. Now, if you are feeling demoralized, even if you're not, but especially if you are, I want to invite you to join me in my special group, The Tom Woods Show Elite, where we are keeping each other sane during these crazy times. But not only do you get that as a bonus for being a supporting listener of the show, but if you're at the silver level or above, what's the silver level? It's like 10 bucks a month. The bronze is five. So it's not a whole lot of money. But at the silver level and above, I throw in things like, uh, you know, I sign a copy of one of my books. I send it to you. I give you the video of my debate with Bob Murphy on pacifism, a debate I lost, by the way. There's no footage of this anywhere except inside the supporting listeners uh, group. My email masterclass, how to make sales through email. I got an hour thing on that going through my methods. I have a video on tips on public speaking. I have a more than 20-year career in public speaking. I have a video showing you how I make my eBooks. I have transcripts of all the interviews. I have massive discounts on, on uh, Liberty Classroom, discounts at the Mises store and uh, a bunch of places. Uh, you get the free Kindle version of Real Descent. I mean, it's a huge, 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 huge number of benefits. Um, our friend Jeff Herbener went through the best-selling economics textbook of all time and chapter by chapter gave it an Austrian critique, and I give you that course too. I mean, it's ridiculous how much I give you. But as I say, a, a chief selling point of it is membership in the Tom Wood Show Elite, which you will love very, very much. And I'm hoping to do an event at my house later this year with folks from the Elite Group. I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm going to select them because there's no way I can fit all you people. I have a pretty nice house, but I can't fit all you guys in there. So I have to figure out some kind of system of, of, uh, of selecting. I don't know how this is going to work. First come, first serve. I have no idea. But anyway, please go do that over at supportinglisteners.com. You'll warm my heart. And man, I mean, come on. With those benefits, you're going to be like a kid in a candy store. So supportinglisteners.com is, uh, is where you want to go. And thanks so much for listening. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.